I am Ospat Dolonso, and you're listening to the Sound of the Loom podcast. Morning, afternoon, or evening, depending on when this finds you. Welcome to the Sound of the Loons podcast. I'm Steve McPherson, and I'm joined by Callum Williams. Let's just start with what everyone's actually interested in. How did you feel about the most recent episode of Game of Thrones, The it, Long Night? It, it was the most compelling piece of television I've ever seen in my life. Wow. It High was praise. unreal. Wow. Mate. I've never been that encapsulated and that excited and that drawn in to any piece of that type of television before, you know, if it's a live okay. sports event or whatever, you know, it's different. Sure, I think. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. But for Scripted that drama, yeah, I've never been that involved ever. And, um, you know, no spoilers here, you know, but when the moment happened, that sure. were, you know, we all know what I'm talking about. Yes. Uh, I physically jumped up off the couch. <laughs> I was like, oh. <laughs> like it was, um, my, my, wife and I ended up like putting our arms around each other like it was just All right. it was it was an experience to say the least how did um how did it look on your tv was it dark there's been a lot of a lot Very of dark. stuff going on that interestingly i read an article that was talking about how the it's tough because they they made a very dark show uh a very dark episode particularly um and the way that at the way that we all watch TV now is set up for that to fail because, you know, we have these high definition televisions, but they sort of need to be calibrated a certain way for, for darks to look rich and to look correct. And, and then you go through like the compression algorithms that go into streaming and all of this. And it, it, it just leads to, it's ironic because we all have these home theater setups, but if you don't really use the home theater setup, then suddenly it's like, Oh, this looks weird and funky. Um, so, did, I mean, but could you see what was going on? Uh, I could see what was going on. It, 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 there was one or two times where you had to squint a little just to see. But I, um, yeah, I kind of thought to myself uh, that the group we were watching it with mentioned, like, is it a little bit dark for anybody? Ah, uh, yes. And, and, yeah, I kind of thought the same. But do you know what? Now that I look back and, and, and think about it, I actually thought it added to the suspense of everything. Yeah, and 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 maybe that was the directors doing their uh, their due diligence uh, in terms of how to uh, have a human being react uh, in in a certain way, mm-hmm. um, how to uh, mess with the the brain. I have no idea, but um, yeah. no, I thought it was I thought it was um, uh, that there was just a whole host of suspense throughout the whole thing and the. The darkening of it all really, really helps. Yeah, I, I, I really appreciated the opening, which is very slow and quiet, um, to give you that sort of push into experiencing like basically sixty straight minutes of of sort of battles. Um, it's, Game of Thrones is, it exists now in a very weird place for me because I think early on I really felt like it was very satisfying and 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 well done. The dialogue was excellent. And then as you sort of unpeeled layers, you found new critical elements that were exciting to sort of think about. Um, that stuff is, is mostly gone. Like there's not really like a critical level to this show anymore. Um, it's like a spectacle and yes. it's entertainment. And it's, it, it's 
I just find it interesting to me because, you know, like if, if I start criticizing Game of Thrones, I feel like so many times people are like, well, you don't have to watch it. I'm like, no, I enjoy, like I enjoy engaging my critical faculties. And I, and I sort of enjoy this experience of sitting there watching it, being engaged for the entire 80 minutes of the runtime. And then I get done and I'm like, well, that didn't make sense. And this was weird. And why did this happen? And what did they do about this? I, I, I like that dialogue. So, so to me at this point, knowing that it's not, knowing that we're, you know, within shouting distance of the end, I sort of want to see how they do it. And if it doesn't land like I want it to, I'm not going to be mad. I'm just interested to see how they deal with it. I was surprised it was only one episode. I know it was a long episode. Yeah. But I did think it would be spread over two, maybe even three episodes because yeah. we've got three episodes left, haven't we, to my knowledge yeah. anyway. So uh, I was surprised at how uh, how quickly the, uh, you know, the thing happens. Um, and... Uh, Look, I mean, now I'm really intrigued to see what they do with the next three episodes. I mean, obviously they're going to go and give Cersei a bit of a kicking now. I think. Yeah, but, um, I'm glad they got the. You know, they sort of they they finished that arc. You mm -hmm. know, it, because the, honestly, we're getting into spoilers. So right now I'm <laughs> going to say I'm not going to go over the whole thing. But if you're listening and you don't want to hear any spoilers, just skip ahead a couple minutes. We'll be talking about <laughs> DC United. Um, I'm glad they got rid of the Night King because as as compelling as he was as a sort of ominous force in the background, mm. as an actual antagonist, really nothing there. He doesn't talk. He doesn't have a backstory. I mean, there's a backstory to how he was created, but it's sure. like it's never really clear whether he has feelings or motivations or whether it's simply destruction, right? And then because of that, we're sort of left thinking like, well, then it's weird when he sort of gets like smug about stuff. Or that it takes him forever to, like, draw his sword. Like, why did he do that? Like, this very Bond villainy kind of, like, sure. I'm going to take a really long time to set this up. And, and and if he had just trotted to the Weirwood, maybe he would have finished the job instead of, <laughs> you know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, so these these little things that as you start picking it apart, you're kind of like, I'm glad he they, they sort of cleared that out because I think the show snaps the most when it's humans on humans because humans have no you know, the, the, the sort of existential threat of the White Walkers is like beyond human squabbling. That's sort of, that was the compelling thing about it. But once you had to face it straight up, the squabbling stuff is much more interesting where it's like the Lannisters have these values and the Starks have these values. And Danny has this, she wants to be a liberator, but she's also has shades of, of sort of a, a dictator. Uh, you know, like yep. how that stuff interacts is much more interesting because it's less defined. It's a lot more open. Um, and so I'm looking forward to seeing, I'm not, I'm not optimistic about how they deal with it because I think they've, it, since they've gone past the, the limit of the books, they've, they've strayed into territory where, where, where characters start being used for ends rather than sort of like for, for who they are. Um, yeah. you know, they sort of come in to do a job or, or they come in to represent this or, or, or they behave in a sort of stupid way because it makes it easier to make a plot happen. Um, that stuff is, I, I mean, it's, that sort of let me down in the long run, but I'm still like, this is really enjoyable. Um, and it's, it can be funny, um, mm. that I really enjoyed, um, Sansa's when she was talking to Tyrion and she sort of dropped the thing about like that when they were married and he's yes. like, maybe we should stay married. And she's like, you were the best of them. You think back to like <laughs> the horrible people she's yeah, been involved yeah. with. <laughs> that was a pretty good line. I thought so. Yeah. I, 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 wonder what's going to happen with those now those two but uh just going back to the night king though i i um i kind of i kind of appreciated the fact that he was completely riddled with mystery mm -hmm. um and towards the end we like you said we don't 
really ever know if he was even capable of showing emotion. Um, and yeah, you're right. There was a little bit of a Bond villain, yeah, feeling towards him. But um, look, I mean, uh, as I said, obviously, uh, what happened happened, and uh, now I'm just intrigued with the final three episodes. I, I just can't believe we're here already at like, the yeah. final three episodes of it. So. I know, I know, it's crazy. The, the last little nugget I'll drop on this because we we start. It, drifting into the territory of like fiction and, and, and how you create narrative here. But I will say I, to your point about the mystery that um, one thing that game of Thrones has changed is that they, they have generally substituted surprise for suspense, which is not, I think that in my opinion is not a great trade for a story. I think suspense is generated when we, the audience know things that the characters don't know. Right. And so that's sort of, uh, you know, the, the, the opening was suspenseful generally, but generally speaking, I think although there were some surprises through the first, like, you know, three, four seasons of, of the show, a lot of times it was like, well, you know what this guy is going to do or is capable of. You know what this woman is capable of. And then they don't know what each other is capable of. And so the enjoyment is in watching that unfold with the characters. When you trade in surprise, then we don't, we as the audience don't know what they're capable of. And so then it's sort of always a jump scare. And that's, I mean, that's got its place, obviously. It can be very entertaining. But I think that in terms of the long-term health of something, suspense is a much more fun way to go about it because it's because it's it's more fun for you as the audience because you're sort of in on it mm. and then you get to see the unfolding rather than sort of the information being withheld from you yeah with that noted <laughs> let's move on to dc united um i'm done i was like we only spent like five five three six seven eight minutes on 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 <laughs> all right um dc united second clean sheet in a week um, this time it was, it was a win, uh, which is, which was great to have at Allianz mm. field. We got that moment for Wonderwall, which again, as I think I reiterated after the first game against NYCFC, I was a little happy that we, not that we didn't get the win against NYCFC, but given that we didn't lose that Wonderwall has now gotten its own moment separate from opening the building. Um, and it was, it was a beautiful moment. It was, uh, I think as glorious as everybody Ever thought it would be. Um, I, I still wish Miguel Ibarra would have scored at the end to make it 2-0 because I think that would sure. have given an element of, of gloss about it as well and, and um, it, it, it would have shined a little brighter, I think, if, if sort of one of their own would have would have yeah. scored as well. I mean, Miguel was very unlucky at the end not to score. Um, but look, it's... I mean, again, I think... And, and not to play this down, but I think... Um, it's another first that we've now accomplished. We've done it now. Mm -hmm. And um, I think, to be honest now, it's, it, it's one of them where you kind of think, okay, well, I'm, I'm glad it's, it's done. Yeah. Um, now we can again move on to, to football and, and, and concentrate on the season and whatnot. And, you know, it, it's always going to be fabulous hearing those fans singing Wonderwall. It's always going to be brilliant. But I, I remember feeling a huge sense of relief after the final whistle and I remember thinking there is a huge psychological barrier now shifted mm -hmm. from these players' mindset because they've done it. They've got the first home victory. Yeah. And now the big thing uh, moving forward is they have to do that on a consistent basis. And obviously that'll, that'll be the, the mindset moving forward. Yeah, it was, it's interesting to me how much looking at that results... It, it's funny with, with, with soccer because, you know, because the results are... The games are so... Um, there's a relative paucity of, of chances of, of sort of counting stats that go into things. You know, you can play, two teams can play a game where one 
team is obviously better and then they lose by a goal. You know, it's like, it's very Manichean. It's like you go, you get a goal or you don't get a goal. Um, and I found myself thinking how, you know, winning that game shifts how the results look for like the past week. Right. Because if you had, if you like lost a close one on the road in Toronto, like gave up mm-hmm. that lead, that was rough. You have a goal draw against the galaxy, which was, which was fine, but you know, um, maybe not what you wanted. And then you lose, a game one out, like if, if, if they had lost against DC United, you'd be sitting there going like, I think fans would be like, man, what, what is, what is going on here? Right. But if you shift it to winning that game to get the second clean sheet in a week and uh, to a large extent, I think you can say the, those clean sheets are the result of adjustments made in the wake of, of losing that game. You go, eh, well, we're on the right track. Mm-hmm. And yet it's just the difference of like, if one of the, if one of DC's chances had gone in and if that chance had not gone in, you know it, what I mean? It's a difference of inches really, yeah, isn't it? Right, you know? yeah. um, and you're right, because had we not have beaten DC, we'd be looking at this and saying, no win in three, but right. now it's actually we're unbeaten in two. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> so um, And unbeaten at home. And unbeaten at home as well, yes. Um, but uh, and also, by the way, I'm going I'm to... Uh, say this um it's it's Roma Metanao's goal man yeah I was Angel gonna... <laughs> doesn't touch it he doesn't touch it I was gonna say here's the thing that I was going to say about that it was gonna come up it's gonna come up maybe again when we talk about Angelo a little bit um I will say though that Angelo obviously is key to that goal happening because if Angelo is not making that run sure. I don't think that ball goes in because Hamid is obviously guarding against Angelo at that moment so it, you know, it, he's got his hand in it. But he still it. didn't just, touch the ball, though. <laughs> I understand he didn't touch the ball, but it's like if Roman just, like, sh- like fired that in there and there was nobody running on goal, I think Hamid would stop that easy. That's all I'm saying. No doubt um, that Rodriguez's presence plays its part. You're, you're right. But he still didn't touch it. <laughs> I did love his response afterward when he was asked about it. He was like, well, I'm a forward, so of course I'm going to say I, I Right, which it. is essentially saying, no, I didn't, but hey, never mind, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, let's get to, we'll get to Angelo in a minute. Uh, one thing that I wanted to bring up is that Adrian, um, uh, Adrian Heath has been beating the drum about the defensive breakdowns with the team that, that happened in Toronto. Uh, not really being about the defensive shape or the principles, sort of the fundamentals that they're pursuing, but these sort of individual errors. And as that was going on and as adjustments were having to be made about that, I sort of found myself thinking like, how do you, how do you prevent that? I mean, I, I asked a couple of players about that when you have, when it's not, he, we don't have to change the principles, but it's just this focus, this, this determination. And this is one of those things that athletes are always going to talk about. It's like focus and determination. I'm like, okay, but you're focused and determined until for a second you're not. And then it goes in. Like, is there some, you know, methodical way to change that? Obviously, you know, one of the things that they, they, their hand was forced a bit by, you know, red cards, um, but rolling with Coleman and Miller in place of Boxel and Cabo has done a good job of sort of stopping up those mistakes. And that doesn't mean that the boxier Cabo are not good players. They have often been, you know, key contributors to the team. But I think any player goes through spells where they're just kind of off, you know, yep. and, it's, and it's and it's and it's just not there. So is it just a matter of trying to key in on the guys who are in that moment going? I mean, there might be a moment where you say, you know, like Brent is not on, like we need somebody different, you know, like this is, this is just part of soccer, right? I think it's a part of all sports. Is it not? I mean, everybody seems to at some point run into a a poor spell of, um, of form. And, um, I think psychologically, uh, psychologically there's (laughs) a huge aspect, particularly in, in soccer as well, because the season is 
as you guys say, it's 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 such a long season. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think uh, you, you have to be mentally on top of things all the time. Um, but doing that for a, a nine-month season, there's going to be a little slip-up somewhere. Yeah. Simply, there will be. Yeah. Um, and and I think, uh, look, a lot of it as well comes down to who's better who's better situated for that that role and a lot of the times who's better situated for that opponent on that particular day as well. Sure. So, you know, but I think, um, yeah, look, get, getting rid of the, the psychological um, mishaps, uh, there's only so much a coach can do. There's only yeah. so much yeah. that the coach can before. do there. Yeah, yeah. so... Um, you know they've they've trusted in you to perform on this particular afternoon evening. I mean, not me particularly. Well, never know. Never. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bad idea. Um, hey, with the way the first two years went, mate, we probably could have done with you <laughs> on the bench at I some stage. Couple, I think there's a couple other people in the organization who, could, who should have been picked away before. I mean, maybe every <laughs> other person in the organization. You so. could do a sterling job at centre half, mate. You know, I think you'd be all right. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I can kick people's legs. I, that, I can do that. Well, sometimes you need a player to come in and do that. <laughs> Literally, I, I know of managers that have said to their players when they're going in for the last five minutes or whatever, you see their number 10, just kick just him. Just kick him. Just go in and dismantle his game. Maybe uh, I could do that. There you go. And then that's, take that's the red role. card and, yeah. That's your role. I'll take the payday. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I, I think that the the... The moment is important. I mean, the the scouting. I think it's the thing we don't. I I think that consistency has its has its virtues. I think that it, it, consistency has its virtues. So does flexibility. There's a certain element of how do you um, how do you balance those two concerns? Um, it, how does any individual coach feel? Is consistency more important, or is an ability to respond to the, the the needs of the moment more important? It's um. It's it's a tough question. I think that I think that in my experience over the last couple of years watching this team, I think that Adrian Heath's gone both ways. Sometimes I've been like, oh, that's admirable, you know, flexibility to to make a change, and then the the wisdom to see that sticking with that change for a while is going to be the, the good move. There's also been times where I've like, ah, you should make a change here, but you're not, or mm. you you know, I, I, and I think that's every fan is going to look at every situation and and and. And think a couple of different ways about it. Oh, probably, absolutely, so. yeah. As human beings think about all sorts of things very differently, don't we? Um, yeah. But just what on the subject of, of uh, psychology and whatnot, um, we're not breaking news because the news will be out there um, before, uh, obviously, this goes out and whatnot. Uh, it looks as if Colorado Rapids have fired their manager, oh. Anthony Hudson. And the reason I bring this up is because there is an element of... of um, psychological um, misuse, mishaps at the Rapids right now. They're on an absolute horrid run. Yeah. Um, they can't win a game for love no money. Um, and I think they are caught in a psychological rut right now. And we've all been there where you you, you try and, and do what you can to get out of it and, and you know, nothing's going your way and, and all sorts, you know, and... and um, I, I think uh, he was extremely brave, and it now seems as though he's been extremely stupid to come out and uh, point the finger at uh, the hierarchy, yeah. uh, at Stan Kroenke and whoever else runs the Rapids and, and basically say we've not spent enough money yeah. and we're only going to be at a certain level unless we, we go and spend some big money. I, I agree, but... Anthony Hudson, you've also brought these players in. You know, yeah. um, you don't have. I know you have. You have a GM there, but 
the, the, the vast majority of these players have been brought in by the head coach. And if it's not working then, um, and then you go out and, and ridicule the, the, the hierarchy, I don't think that was a very smart move. But sure. um, I, I thought what it did was it, it showed a huge disconnect between um, the uh, the sporting side of things and the, the front office side of things at Colorado Rapids. And um, I think... Um, you know that that never helps psychologically. Yeah. Um, and uh, I just think right now that they uh, that they've been going through all sorts of issues. Um, and now, whoever comes in, whether it's going to be Conor Casey on a full time basis or, or a, a completely new structure, it isn't. Isn't it amazing what psychologically that does to yeah. a locker room? You know. Yeah. I mean, the the thing about making a change like that is that I think this happens in every sport where. You know, it can be good or bad or the right or wrong decision. But sometimes in terms of that change, the change itself is a decision. Um, and making that decision is sometimes, you know, things can get worse for a while and then they can get better. But it, when you've reached that point where you're like, they're just not going to get better with what we have. Mm. Changing, you know, the coach is is the thing that changes the culture the quickest, you know, for, for, for good or ill. Um, you know, we've seen it. Uh, like, not that I'm not saying that, that Atlanta's culture is bad, but you see that like Tata Martino had like, this is, this is how this team is. Yep. And then changing that, um, with DeBoer is just like, it's, it hasn't settled yet. Um, and maybe it pays off in the long run or maybe it doesn't, but it obviously has changed things. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it has. <laughs> not, I, will, I will also say as well, Steve, I think also another quick way to change the culture is by getting rid of a player that is central to that culture as well. Sure. Yeah, you know, but but I also agree with your point about the coach yeah. as well. Let's uh, let's go back a couple other things I want to touch on with DC uh, uh, Angelo, who uh, I continue to just I feel like I enjoy watching him more, mm. um, you know, every week. Uh, man, DC has some guys, uh, big boys, I believe, as Vito Manone uh, referred to them earlier. Yeah, um, and uh, Pines is gigantic. The lad Pines is, is a monster, wasn't he? He's twenty one. Yeah, <laughs> he's colossal. <laughs> I mean, not that he's he's probably not going to get a lot bigger, but obviously, it's just. He's just like gigantic. And I thought it was, I thought it was interesting because you saw Pines really manhandling Angelo, but that was, Angelo's role was to try to get into those spots and try to get those balls. And then, you know, he, he got involved in that goal. And I'm not going to say scored that goal. He got mm. involved in that goal uh, sort of by, by being on the move at that moment. And it sort of made me think of like that. Uh, I, we talked about it before with, with post post players in the NBA where it's like, you need a move and then a counter move. And so it's almost like after, you know, two halves of sort of tussling for, for space to sort of sort of peel off and go into open space. It was sort of a, a momentary switch up and it paid dividends. Um, because yeah. I think it was a little something different than what he had been doing. Um, and I think that's a real canny smart thing, uh, right there. And I get, and again, I just think Angelo should get more credit than, than he's been getting. I think yeah. he's finally getting it, you know, with, with the kind of stat lines he's been putting up the last several games, but yeah, uh, I, I agree. I, I'm, what I will say is Steve, I actually thoroughly enjoyed watching that contest between those two players. You mentioned it was a battle of the brutes really, wasn't yeah, it? You know, yeah. it was just fabulous to watch and, um, you know, yeah, I mean, all credit to Angelo. Well, well done to, to Pines as well. I mean, he was marking a, you know, a, a firmly established centre forward, and um, you know, I thought he did a good job. But but I thought Angelo did ever so well. Um, and at times, it wasn't just Pines as well. It was Birnbaum who would would tuck inside They're as well. Brian's big. Brian, yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, I thought Angelo led the line very very well against DC United. And um, you know, yeah. Look, he's, as you mentioned, his presence played a part in the goal as well. Um, I, uh, I I have originally. 
said that I don't think Angelo will get you 15, 20 goals a season. I'm still very much of that opinion, mm-hmm. but he does so much more um, than, um, than than what we've seen over the last uh, couple of, of weeks as well, which is, is really exciting. And, um, you know, I think... Um, I think he can be a real handful mm-hmm. for anybody going up against anybody in this league. Yeah. I, I really do. And, and and now that he has the the players playing behind him, with whether it's Quintero or you know uh, as it was um, on uh, on Sunday with four three three, he he was more than capable of adapting to that situation where the wide players would tuck in and mm-hmm. then and Quintero. But usually you would have Quintero and you would have the two wide players. You know we have a, a plethora of them now, don't we? But they all seem to work well with Angelo Rodriguez. And, yeah. um, you know, he, he deserves some credit for that, for sure. Yeah, open your heart to Angelo. Um, uh, this came up on MLSsoccer.com. Uh, also, Metonier, best right back in the league right now? Oh, that's a big shout, that is. I I think he's he's the most in-form right back okay. in MLS Fair right enough. now. We've only seen if, you know, he's only played... He's played nine games. Nine games, like... Um, uh, that's a big shout. That is. I, I mean, look, he, he's been excellent so yeah. far. Um, I, I think there are some. Let's say. Let's keep it to right now. Again, I said like the best right back in the league right now. So like, given the league, given given the games we have, I think that there's a, a competition. I think Kelvin Leardam has been terrific. Leardam's awesome. Um, I think that. I think watching the watching the the, the clip that was on MLSsoccer.com, they I think they were underrating his defensive capabilities a little bit because they sort of seem to feel like he's getting a lot of credit for getting forward. But man, every time every time he chases down somebody going down the wing and tackles them and takes the ball away from them and they're still going and he's going the other way. Yeah. Like I yeah. just I love it. That's like that's my stuff. Well that's his great. work ethic's fabulous, isn't it? But yeah. um you know, yeah, I mean, that's probably a good way to, to phrase it is that right now he's probably playing the best out of any other right back. I mean, there's some really good ones. Like I like Escobar at, yeah. um, at Atlanta. I I really like uh, Reggie Cannon at Dallas. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Hara at DC, I thought, gave yeah, a good Hara's performance as well. Yep. You know, so yeah, I mean, th- there's a load of really good right backs in this league. But yeah, that's probably the best way to put it is that Roma Metinair right now is probably the most consistent and playing the best out of all the right backs in MLS. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Also, we uh, we the Minnesota United slipped back into the top ten of the power rankings on MLS. Oh, we did. Okay. Yeah, we're in, uh, in at ten. Um, highest was eight. So, so who's, who's making these power rankings, by the way? I don't know. Probably just Matt Doyle. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's all voted on by all those guys: Ben Bear, Bobby Warshaw, okay. uh, Weeby, all those guys together, thinking and you know working together on that stuff. Um, I don't know. Uh, fair. Top ten. Um, I can take. I can take a look at what the other. The, what makes up the rest of the top ten right now? I know SKC is right below us. I think Philly was right above us. Um, let's see. So I, LAFC I mean, up top. LA Galaxy second. Seattle third. Houston then then Dallas then Toronto then DC Montreal then Philly then Minnesota United then like below that SKC Columbus NYCFC. I think. Um, I think Montreal should be higher up because they've come out of nowhere and are now second in the East. I think Minnesota should be higher up because people seem to forget that we started with five games on the road. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and I think, do you know what? I, I think actually moving forward though now, it'll really be the next game or two where we can really start to assess what Minnesota United are this season and, and how they look. You know, are they a playoff team? Are they going to be in and around the playoff spots? Mm-hmm. Um it's very difficult to judge in the opening couple of games with anybody, particularly in this league. Um, but I think now, um, once we get 
11, 12 games under under your belt, I think that's when you can really yeah. start to assess what kind of a team they are. Yeah, well, and Adrian's saying, um, you know, once the, the record evens out, right, where the home yes. and away games are sort of have hit that even spot, then you'll really have a better sense of it. Um, I, I think that's I think that's also fair. So when you hit that a third of the season, sort Usually, of like yeah. is, is sort of into there um, where you're like, well, the record actually says something about who you are. Because you look at, you look at Houston and, and Dallas, who are the two teams above Minnesota United in the standings right now, um, and they've each played five games at home. Mm-hmm. Minnesota United's played three games at home. Right. Um, so that, that can make a big difference. You know, Houston is, is they're, they're both undefeated at home, um, which Minnesota United is also undefeated <laughs> at home. So, you know, the results are a little different. We get two ties. They, they have, they have, but FC Dallas is, FC Dallas is three Oh and two at home, right? Minnesota United is one Oh and two. So, mm. you know, two wins. And then the, that's, that's the same record. Well, the, and, the galaxy so. came in to the game, having played five of their first seven all at home. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, it all evens out. Yeah. In the end, everybody plays the same, same number of right. games everywhere. Right. So, um, Last note on that, uh, Darwin uh, Quintero suffered an injury mm-hmm. um, in the second half. Uh, that, well, it was in the first half, but he came out in the second half. Sure. Um, seems like it's not too serious, though. Um, uh, to my knowledge, yeah. Yeah. He looks okay. He, But he has overall not – we haven't seen a fully activated Darwin this season, I think, is my feeling. We have, yep. not, we have not seen the best that Darwin has to offer yet. No, I agree with that. I think he's come into the season in poor form. Yeah. I think even he will admit that. Yeah. And we say this, you know, he's, he's got a handful of goals already, but the majority of them have come from the penalty spots. And, sure. Um, yeah, I, 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 I have absolutely no argument against that. And, and I think um, I'd be surprised if Darwin did as well. You know, I think he holds himself to a very high standard and came to this league to win and came here for a reason and wanted to play at Allianz Field, wanted to play for Adrian Heath. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I <laughs> I think even he now will admit that it's not been good enough in the opening couple of games. Um, he No doubt he is the centerpiece of this team. Mm-hmm. And he needs to be better. Yeah. And, um, you know, I mean, I, look, I, I, have, I have no worries that he that he won't either you know because we we know we know as i said earlier on what kind of a standard he holds himself to um i think as we we mentioned earlier on steve it's just one of these things where he's going through a little bit of poor form and that that's okay every every player goes yeah. through that every you know two or three seasons and some some people go through it every one season you know and and um darwin was was stupendous for this team last year mm-hmm. um and he was wonderful for Club America for many a year as well. So I think it's okay that he has a little bit of a, an off couple of games. But um, no doubt that we, we need him. We need him moving forward, especially when we're playing big Western Conference teams at home. Yeah. Yeah, that was one of my quibbles with the power, that sort of the blurb in the power rankings was saying that uh, Darwin's injury woes have to be a massive concern because they just aren't the same team if he's not able to play his best. And I sort of thought, to my mind, I'm like, well, I don't think he has played his best. So mm-hmm. in some ways, I think... Like, the record is very good, given that we have not gotten the best out of Darwin Quintero at this point. We played a bunch of games on the road, and um, and and Darwin has not been at his best. So if Darwin improves and the, the schedule evens out, I think that the future is brighter. <laughs> yeah. than, like, if if Darwin is currently playing at his current level, we're, we're doing the team's doing okay. I keep yep. saying we. I can't ever tell if I should be saying we. I work for the team. <laughs> It's just too confusing. I can't. Yeah, I must admit, I, I try and remain fairly level. I know you. I used you know? to keep saying that, and as I'm like, you're doing a good, you're doing a good <laughs> job. And I, I, 
I really don't feel like it's because I'm particularly emotionally invested in the team. It's just like it's it's my it's the company I work. Well, no, for, no so. doubt we are emotionally invested because <laughs> I mean, we yeah, work for the team. Yeah. We want the team to do well, obviously. <laughs> right. But yes. but I think there's something to be said, and I think you do a much fairer podcast or broadcast or call or whatever if you remain yeah. sort of firmly planted in the middle of things, you know. But um, yeah. look, I think um, going back to what we were talking about, I think. Um, I completely agree with what you said. What it does do is it identifies that Minnesota United can play and are okay without Darwin Quintero. Mm -hmm. But no doubt, when Quintero is on his game, when he wants to play, it elevates this team to another level. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's look ahead to Seattle a little bit. We spent a lot of time there, but I think we covered some stuff that wasn't just DC United. So we'll, we'll just touch on Seattle here before we get out of here. Uh, Seattle will be missing both Leardam, uh, again, notable contender for best right back right now, <laughs> uh, and Christian Roldan. Uh, Possibly. I, yes. Unless it's rescinded, you know, we'll, we'll see. Yeah, that, I guess that's up in the air, right? Yeah. Because it's, yeah, who knows? Um, and then Rui Diaz has been hurt. I don't know what his current status is. I haven't seen anything... Um, Recently, so the but... last I had heard, Kindra was speaking to a couple of people in Seattle and, and um, there's, there's still really no message there either. You know, we don't okay. really know. Um, I think one or two that weren't available the last game might be available this game. I mean, the, the, the big one really is is uh, Rui Diaz. We, we need to know if he's available or not. You know, that's going to be yeah. that's going to be a big difference for them. You know, um, I, I like Will Bruin, who's also not been available as well. Jordan Morris is obviously a handful as well, but... If they have Rui Diaz leading the line for them, they are a very, very good team. Yeah, I like uh, I like the prospect of the matchup as far as um, Ozzy Alonso goes. Uh, I, I, you know, I think that on the one hand, he's he's a pro, and so I think he's not going to fall prey to getting overly emotional about it. But I think it's the kind of thing that he's a very important player for this team. I mean, incredibly important. You saw that in the last game, how much he he controlled the midfield and dictated where the ball was coming out, you know, as they went into attack mode. So, um, and he's also, but he's also very experienced. So he's, he's going to get the chance to face his former team. I think he could take it up a notch. And I think you could also see the guys around him, take it up a notch as a sort of, you know, rallying around him. Uh, I was thinking it's sort of, it's sort of like the, it's like your new girlfriend wanting to sort of show up your ex, you know, like, <laughs> like you have your own issues with your ex. Right. But <laughs> you know, but in Ozzy's case, it's like, well, these, this is his new girlfriend is all sure. the people around him. So he's like, and they're like, Hey, I can, I can look how good I can look. So <laughs> I, 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 I like that. I like that element. Um, so, you know, not, not revenge game exactly, but I think it's the kind of thing that a smart player like, like Ozzy will, will know how to sort of harness uh, in a positive way. Yeah, I think what we'll see, first of all, holding with Phil's Appreciation Society. Oh, here we go. Hold up. <laughs> For Ozzy, yes, absolutely. <laughs> we should we should have an uh, Ozzy have his own button, really, shouldn't we? And have yeah. an Ozzy Onzo Appreciation Society. Like Ozzy, Ozzy, oi, oi. Oh, there we go. That's, there go. that's exactly what we need to do. Okay. <laughs> uh, we'll get producer Tyson on the case, shall we? Um, yeah, look, I mean, um, it, it's obviously going to be a big day for Ozzy Alonso. There's no doubt about it. Um, I think um, Ozzy is as professional as they come, mm -hmm. but there's no doubt. And I'm not saying he doesn't give 100% every game. Sometimes he gives 110%. Yeah. I think this game he gives 120%. Yeah. He may even overdo it slightly. You yeah. know, I think he's going to go a little harder into challenges. I think he's going to run a little faster. I think he's going to hit the ball a little harder. I think he's going to advance a little higher than we're usually used to seeing him as well because, I mean, look, it's in the scripts that he scores, isn't it? You know, I mean, that would be <laughs> fabulous. I mean, wouldn't that be absolutely iconic? You know, it would be wonderful. So um, I hope it goes well for him. I know everybody in Seattle, um, they, they miss him dearly. 
Uh, Ashley Woody was there for 10 years and was uh, arguably the franchise I player mean, for play, that time. played in the first season in MLS with them. 2009, I mean, that, that, yeah. It was know, a like, long, long time ago. Yeah. And uh, look, I mean, he is... You think about a guy like Miguel here, right? And, yeah. You know, him. he played in the first... I mean, obviously, he, he's a little older starting. But like uh, somebody who starts with the franchise at the MLS level, imagine Miguel leaving. I mean, he's... <laughs> He'll be in his late thirties if this happens. Imagine him leaving like eight years from now. Yeah, yeah what yeah. that would mean to play that first game again. Yeah, so. exactly. I, I would, I would say that's a good point, but also put it in capital letters and have an exclamation point at the end of it as well. You know, like this is Alonso's team. Seattle Sounders have been his life for the last ten years. Yeah, and uh, no doubt he's going to give absolutely everything on Saturday evening. Yeah. Anything else uh, you want to call out? Thinking tactically or looking ahead to the game, things to look out for. Well, it, all of it depends on who's available for the Sounders, really. You know, sure. I'm, I, I really like um, Gustav Svensson in the holding midfield role for them. I think he's good. He gives Roldan a, a lot of breathing space. Um, I'm a big fan of Rui Diaz. I think he'd score goals in just about any league in the world. You know, yeah. he came to the Sounders last year after scoring 40 goals in two seasons in League MX. You know, mm -hmm. and that's that's not an easy task, you know. Yeah. And it's not like he was with one of the, the top three or four teams either as well. So he's done a tremendous job and, and, and he's always going to be a threat. Uh, what I will say is, well, I think I speak for every U.S. soccer fan here and say it's so good to see Jordan Morris back yeah. and playing as well and, and, and not just you know, hobbling around, you know, he's actually being effective as well and, yeah. and really influencing games. And it was a great goal he scored at Chicago Fire on this year. And, and I kind of thought to myself, yeah, you know, he's back, he's, he's comfortable. And uh, he, 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 that particular afternoon, I remember seeing him burst down the left-hand side, you know, and cut in and, and have a shot and everything. And I thought, yeah, you know, Morris is, is back. So it's good to see him back. Um, but look, I mean, again, that the one thing I will say is that this is uh, another opportunity for Minnesota United um, to make um, our home a fortress. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I thought they did a, a good job. I thought the fans were, were terrific again on, on Sunday against DC. Uh, not that they weren't on Wednesday. I thought they were great there as well against the Galaxy. But um, if, if it carries on like this and Minnesota United make this a difficult place to come, it'll be one of the most difficult places to play in the entirety of Major League Soccer, and, and that needs to continue on Saturday against the Sounders. Yeah, one uh, one note, last note about the Seattle game. Uh, one thing that I think is interesting in terms of standings is Minnesota United wins. Uh, they're moving up. Um, Houston and Dallas are playing each other, uh, who are the next two teams. Oh, is it the Texas Derby this yeah, weekend? Yeah, Texas Derby oh, this wow, week. Okay. So, so uh, move above Houston – uh, or tied with them if the Dynamo lose or draw. If we, this is presuming a Minnesota win, so three points. Uh, or a tie with FC Dallas uh, if if Dallas loses. Yep. So, you know, there's there's going to be some movement in the Western Conference standings. Almost, I mean, as long as Minnesota wins, they'll get something out of it in terms of that. So I think that's that's a good extra little motivator for the uh, for the players out there. Absolutely it is. And what I will say, what are we, nine weeks into the season? It's carnage, isn't it? Yeah. It's so open. I it's love fun. it. It's <laughs> fun. This is MLS, right? <laughs> well, thanks for joining us for the 55th Sound of the Loons. 55th. Wow. Where has that gone? I know, really? Wow. We're going to be... We're, you, you, you look, despite us aging together, you look very good at the moment as well, I must well, say. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate that. Um, we, I did that loon dive with Kobe, which was uh, Kobe Jones, which, yes. was, which was terrific. And, uh, and they got a photo of us, which they had to manipulate a little bit to get it to work because it was very dark. It was looking over the field and everything like that. And I saw me, myself in there. I was like, I look like I'm a hundred billion years old. So, um, so I'm going to chalk that up to photographic manipulation. But anyways, 
I don't, you're only as old as you feel, right? So, exactly. Age yeah. is just a number. That's right. So uh, thanks for joining us for the 55th Sound of the Loons podcast. Minnesota United's next game is on Saturday, May 4th at Allianz Field against the Seattle Sounders at 7 p.m. Central Time. You can watch that game on Fox Sports North Plus and listen, ah, Fox Sports North. I, I just realized I had left the plus in there. Sometimes so used to saying plus, that's why. Well, it's just, you know, it's in there. It's a it's a plus sign. As I'm oh. reading it, I was getting there and I was like, I shouldn't say that because it's Fox Sports North. Um, but I... It got away from me. <laughs> uh, and listen on Score North. Uh, be sure to leave us a nice review on iTunes or at the very least a five-star rating. And follow the team on Twitter at MNUFC. You can follow Cal at CalWilliamsCom and me at Steve Ensuris. And remember, there's only one person in this whole world like you. People can like you exactly as you are. <laughs>